Welcome to Real Life, the program that talks about the life of real estate in the Hamptons and beyond. The people, the places, and the things that are the pulse and heartbeat of real estate with your host, broker associate of Sotheby's International Realty, John Christopher. Welcome back to Real Life, and this is your host, John Christopher. And today I have Senior Mortgage Loan Officer for Citizens Bank, Julie Title. Hey, Julie, how are you today? I'm very good, thank you. That's great. I'm so happy to, uh, that you're on the program. Um, let me uh, ask you, how long have you been a, a mortgage banker? Well, I've been in the mortgage industry as a broker slash banker for 29 years, and I've been a mortgage banker, um, I'd say, uh, the, for the last eight years, for the last eight years. Wow. So that's interesting. So you've been on both sides of the uh, uh, the coin, so to speak. Um, what's the difference between a banker and a mortgage broker? Yeah, so... It, the, the difference changes, I would say, every decade. Um, when I started back in the 90s, being a mortgage broker uh, entailed you know, the ability to go to different banks and get uh, different deals. Um, and at that time, I felt like it was better to be a mortgage broker because the deals, um, you know, the jumbo and the conforming rates um, I, I got better rates as a mortgage broker and I was able to shop it around to the different banks. Um, nowadays, being a banker for me or for the reason I became a banker is because I feel like you get better jumbo rates and better jumbo loan to values. Um, so the stuff that the mortgages that are not sold to Fannie Mae and that would be portfolioed those rates and products are better right now as a mortgage banker. Um, and also I find as a mortgage banker, my speed, I can go faster because there's no middleman. Um, and I feel like my pricing and fees are a little bit better just because you're only dealing with the bank. You don't have two people in the pot here, you know? Um, and yeah, sorry. No, no, no. I was just thinking that's, uh, that's very uh, interesting because um, I wasn't aware of that. So right now, um, people looking for loans, they're better suited going to someone like yourself than they are than going to a mortgage broker. They can shop it, so to speak. Yes. Now, the, there is a reason and um, a place for a mortgage broker. Um, if, if a deal is harder, let's say it's a stated income loan or let's say it's a non-QM loan because the debt to income ratio is too high. What's or the credit. Sorry to interrupt, yeah. but what's a QM? Yeah. What's that standard? Um, quality, qualified mortgage. So they came out with this QM, which meant if... You know, if the client doesn't qualify, like if their debt to income ratio is too high, then you become a, a QM. Or if it's not, you know, if it doesn't fit in the box of the big banks, basically, I mean, that's kind of how people look at it um, because the credit score doesn't work, the credit score is too low, or um, the pro there may be something with the property that just doesn't meet the guidelines of a regular bank or, um, you know, if they need to close super, super fast or um, I know this isn't uh, 
we, we call it hair. Like if a file has a lot of hair, because, you know, we're looking at the income, the assets, the credit, the collateral, the loan to value. And if one thing's off, maybe it would fit within a bank. But if it has too many things off or if it has too much hair on it, um, then at that point, it might have to go to a mortgage broker or something like a foreign national, not non-U.S. citizen. Then they might have to go to a mortgage broker. Well, that's, if that, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so, would a self-employed person uh, fit into that category? Um, so, when a self-employed person comes for a mortgage, uh, the first thing a self-employed person needs to do is get pre-approved because we only use the net income and we use two years' income and we average. If the income goes down, we have to use the lower income. So it's really important for a mortgage bank or a broker to look at the tax returns before the self-employed person goes out looking for a mortgage because they might think they make a lot of money. But then when I look at the tax returns and show them what the net income is, um, you know, I get the whole reasoning why, which we all know that there's a lot of write-offs and they don't understand what their accountant did. Um, so it's really important that the tax returns are viewed by the mortgage banker or broker up front so that we can see if they qualify or what their income is that's going to be used. Um, and so if it doesn't work for mortgage banker, then yes, I would suggest a mortgage broker. Fascinating. Okay. Um so what is the difference between a pre-qualification and a pre-approval? Yeah, so the difference nowadays in, in the banking world, uh, a pre-qual is, you know, you apply and you run the credit and then it gets run through desktop underwriter, which is a Fannie Mae approval online service. Once the, once the credit, once we have the credit score, we can issue the pre-qualification, which is really just saying that, you know, the credit is meeting the guidelines of the bank and then you get the pre qualification. Now, that doesn't really mean much to uh, many people because we haven't looked at the income, the assets. Um, we haven't you know, looked at well, the collateral, obviously, um, but the income and the assets. And when we get the tax returns and the pay stubs or the W-2s or whatever it may be, along with the bank statements, and then we analyze to make sure that the debt to income ratio works and that the reserves are there and the down payment and that the assets have come from sources or that there's no large deposits. Um, once that's all reviewed, then we can give a real pre-approval letter and not not to scare people because it sounds like we have to do a lot, but assuming that myself and my assistant are at the computer um, or accessible, we could usually get a pre-approval within an hour or two. Uh, but that yeah. that's the difference. An hour? In other words, uh, um, the person comes to you and says, listen, I'd like to get a pre-approval. I'll give you what, what kind of information do they have to give you? And then you respond within an hour. I mean, that's that's amazing. Yeah. So usually, um, you know, what will happen is they'll contact me. Generally, these days, it'll be on email. And then I, I can either answer an email or get on the phone with them. Um, sometimes I'll verbally go through all the information. But to get the real pre-approval, what I do is I send out a link. You fill out the, the application. Um, then the computer system will say, OK, it reads it as, you know, let's say their salary. They'll say the 
you know, they'll ask the, the system will ask for the W-2s, usually the pay stubs, the bank statements. It's a little bit tailored to, you know, what the situation is. If you're saying you are getting a gift, it might ask to upload the gift letter, which we can get later. But basically it's doing the application and following what the application is asking for as far as documents and then uploading the documents. And of course, if there's any, um, you know, if, if they need to speak about something because they'll have questions like, you know, I'm getting this, but it's not coming until this time, you know, then I'll say that's fine for now. Um, so once the application and the documents are uploaded, I'll get a notification in my email and then um, myself and my assistant can work on it. And generally, if it's a clean situation, it's 30 minutes to an hour to get the pre-approval out. Pretty amazing. Have you had in your uh, career uh, people putting false information and then all of a sudden when you do a due diligence on them that and the salaries they were quoting or income that they quoted or whatever just doesn't match what with what they um, they said yes um they don't do it to truly lie to me but uh there are many uh places where you know i've had issues and i've gotten pretty uh keen to the fact that, you know, um, I, I need to go a little deeper. So if somebody tells me their credit score and it's from Credit Karma, it's it's not going to be accurate. Credit Karma is not accurate. It's actually worse than not accurate because you think you have a good credit score and it's like useless. Um, the only place to find a good credit score is going to be on myfico.com. Well, that's the one source that I know. Um, it's legitimate. It pulls just like a mortgage bank would pull and it uh, doesn't hurt your credit. Um, so I'll always suggest people to go there if they don't know their credit score um another big Speaking uh, of FICA, a lot of people yeah. aren't aware what that is i mean can you explain that fico oh score? right yes fico score um basically when we run credit we're going to run it from three um well, FICO is going to be a score that we get from all three agencies and we take the middle score um and there's many reasons uh or I'm not, I'm not an expert in credit, but I do know there's reasons why a credit score would be higher than others, which the obvious is you pay your bills, you have a good credit score. But if you don't have enough lines of credit, you should always have at least four lines of credit. And if you don't, that could hurt your credit score. And that could actually hurt your chances getting a portfolio jumbo loan at a bank. So when people are new to the country, when I hear that, you know, they have the right visa to be here, but I always go with this rule 222, which is two years tax returns here, two years of credit here, and make sure the credit means four lines. So that um, that's a hard thing because in other countries, they don't, like to have debt. So they don't think come to America and go out and get credit cards. Um, so I would always suggest, um, unfortunately, my suggestion would be go get a credit card, use it a teeny bit, um, not to the, you know, the highest uh, level. So if you're approved for $1,000, go charge something for 100 um, and then make sure you pay it on time. Right. Um, but what anyway. are some of the no-nos to uh, uh, what you shouldn't do before you apply for a loan? And when it comes to uh, lowering your uh, FICO score? So um, I'm, I'm, this is like hearsay because I don't exactly do credit, but you know what I did here, and this is shocking that if you have a collection account, you're not supposed to pay it off right before you run credit because they say that's admitting guilt. 
Okay. So I, that's, that's shocking. Yeah, um, it's, you know. It is absolutely on that one. <laughs> right. <laughs> Another thing that I'm sure that almost every person knows is that you shouldn't run your credit too much. Cause every time you run it, it lowers your score. Um, I still can't get my hands around that one, but what I do know, because I've been told several, several times and Googled it is that if you run your credit within a two week time period, that should not ruin your credit uh, score. Oh, so, so they running, say you're running, running your, your, to see what your FICO score within a two week period. In other words, you do it once and you do it again. Uh, that doesn't lower your, your score. From what I've been told and what I've read, that right. is correct. Okay. Oh, yeah. Just curious, curious, are the banks still doing interest-only loans? Yes, as a matter of fact, our bank has, I would say, one of the highest loan-to-values and best rates out there for interest-only. Um, now, in order to qualify for that, though, we are going to look at um, the payments based upon a 15-year amortization. So we're going to go really... Um, we're going to give them the hardest test possible to qualify on income. And we're going to ask for a much higher credit score uh, because these loans are riskier for the client and for the person. And the reasoning is because your payments are going to be basically a quarter of what they should be if you were paying off your principal. Um, so, you know, Back in, I guess, 2007, yes, people abused these interest-only loans. Um, and people who couldn't afford the real payment were getting these loans. And that was part of the problem. So now these loans, I would suggest for people that get small base salaries and then huge bonuses. Um, so during the year, of course, they can afford the higher payment, but it feels better because their base is small. And then when they get their bonus, they can prepay the mortgage, the principal. Um, and then the mortgage will automatically recast. So the payments will immediately recast off the new principal. And these, you know, it's, it's basically like being able to uh, create your own cash flow with your mortgage. That's fabulous. Um, really, I'm, I'm sorry to yeah. interrupt you, Julie. Yes. We'll have to have you come back again because you, you're a wealth of knowledge here. Um, someone wanted to get in touch with you and had more questions. How could they do that? Yes, they can call my number at uh, 917-648-1388, or they could email me at julie.teitel at citizensbank.com. Fantastic. Julie Title, it's been a delight having you on the program. This is uh, John Christopher for Real Life, and please stay tuned because we'll be right back after this short break with my next guest. Welcome back to Real Life. This is John Christopher. And today I have as my guest, the Executive Managing Director of the Hamptons for Brown Harris Stevens, Robert Nelson. Buongiorno, Robert. Oh, hey, John. How you doing? Thanks for having me today. Oh, it's it's wonderful. Why I say buongiorno, I should say correctly, is that you just got back from Italy. And I, I got to ask you, how was your trip? Oh, you know what? We had such a terrific time. It was, I think, just that whole excitement of of being out, being released from, from quarantine, you know, and, uh, and, you know, Italy is just such a special place and, and, um, you know, there just were not the numbers of tourists that there normally are. So it was even, even more special, but the Italians are out there doing their, uh, their, 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 their nightly walks and, um, um, you know, all the restaurants were open and it, it really was special. 
I know you could go to any place. I bet you didn't have one bad meal. Oh, never, never. In fact, my, my favorite meals are always in the, um, the, 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 the little, the little um, gas stations along the road. You know, they always have the best pasta, coffee, and, uh, and yeah, orangeinos. I know exactly <laughs> what you're talking about. Um, the Autostrada. I used to pull up yep. and I'd say, yep. I can't believe this, you know, because right. you know, go on to the, uh, the turnpike or go on the, you know, the freeway. <laughs> And what do you get? You don't get the, it's almost like home cooking, you know? It's a, that's right. That's right. It's exactly. crazy. Did yeah. you look at any real estate while you were there? You know, I have to, I'm, I've been in this business my whole life. I am, I am just <laughs> driven, driven everywhere I go. If I slightly like the place, I, I, I get obsessed with looking and, uh, but Italy's like the old West, you know, it, there's no multiple listing system and um, they sort of don't really co-broke um, either. So, um, you know, it's that old way of you walk into the to the office and they have what they have. And um, and, uh, you know, you never know if it's, you know, do they really have a listing or is it something they just heard about or or, you know, it's it's definitely the old west. Well, you know, it, what's what I found interesting. Uh, uh, and you, if you did you put any offers in? Just curious. You, you know what I, I have yes I, I have this trip and other trips um, you, you know it's um, like I said it's a place that's special to me and and uh, you know you never know yeah but you know one of the things I want to let you know about is that uh, the kitchens are negotiable aren't aren't included <laughs> no, 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 no I'm serious they they uh, negotiate on a kitchen that's so, right so oh you know about this that yeah kitchens and closets even right. so. <laughs> right. so if you don't want the kitchen you know and and you say no i'm not interested they'll take everything out they take the kitchen <laughs> sink <laughs> it's all gone literally they do with the stuff but i mean yeah and all yeah. you see is yeah. the plumbing and the electrical fixture you know, it's like <laughs> it's, right. you know right that's right that's really, it looks like a foreclosure but no, no it's just the way it is it's true. Well, it's great, you know, if you don't cook, you know, it's like, who wants to cook anyway? So yeah, take the kitchen. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, okay, enough of kitchens in Italy. Let's, you've been in real estate now, what, 33 years? You were Yeah, 37 now. Yeah. 37, my yeah. God, time flies. It does fly, <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, so you were one of the first to recognize the, the web, especially web-based advertising. You established, what, your first web-based 16 years ago? Can you expand about that? Yeah, you know, it was just, you know, you know, we all started, you know, obviously in the days of, you know, of what we were just talking about, pocket li listings, really, everyone had their own listing in, uh, in, in, in the, you know, in the company they worked for in, in a binder, really, and you go through the binder looking for them. And then, you know, and then, you know, the listing systems did open up and they printed the, the books every two weeks, they print the book of the, of the co-broke listings. And, and then, you know, I can't remember exactly what year, but, you know, finally when they, they put them on the internet, you know, I want to say it was late 90s, maybe, um, when you could finally look up listings from, you know, the listing system. And, um, and that's just when people were beginning to, you know, say, hey, this is, this is you know, the, the, where, you know the, the wave of the future. And um, so, th so that's when, you know, I, you know, in those days you hired an IT guy to build you a very archaic little, you know, <laughs> listing, you know, a, a, a website, you know, I think it was just a, you know, still picture. If, if even, I can't even remember if it had a picture, you know, I don't think it did. I think it was just, you know, real estate look below and it was just some addresses, almost like the New York times, you know, oh, you're kidding. Um, they didn't have no. a, a picture. You couldn't see anything of the house. 
No, there was that you'd have one cover, little little teeny photo of of whatever you want to put in there uh, as your as your main photo, and 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 that was it. But um, you know, I it didn't you know just like you know it didn't really drive traffic obviously to, to your to your website. You didn't really get calls, but at least if someone you know when you went on a listing presentation, you 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 had that to offer. Right, right. So it's like a bonus uh, package. Yeah, right. yeah. Got it. Um, we've wrapped up uh, the summer. We're going into winter. Did you notice any difference in the rental market this year as compared to last? Well, I definitely don't feel there's a frenzy of of of, of fear uh, by any means. You know, in the but yeah. in the rent in the rentals or the sales, there, there's not a, a there's not a fear based um, a, a, a pool of, of buyers and and, and renters, but. You know, we did a lot of renewals. Um, so people that that you know this summer rented and they just everything went fine. So they just you know already you know did the renewal, which more than normal. Um, and and we also had uh, you know more people in the fall already signed up for their next summer. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we did notice that. And now speaking of uh, last year, did you have any problems with the? Uh sight unseen rentals you know people were were so desperate they said okay we'll take you know i had a couple cases of that um but every year you know there's always a couple sight unseen rentals and they're always the ones that you know the expectation is you know it's just like internet dating that they're the most beautiful thing ever and they arrive and uh you know it's like your comparison that's yeah it's not the most perfect you know uh and and uh and I've always sometimes look better than the actual. Yeah. And I've always encouraged our agents, you know, just force them to come out here unless they're in completely another state or country, you know, you know, just tell them it's, they, they need to get up, you know, in the car and come out because like I said, it's, it's, you know, even if it's just a neighbor or how the street looks, there's something that doesn't show up in pictures. And, and if they won't come out, then do a real life, a phone, uh, FaceTime with the people so that you can, you know, literally show them everything as you walk around, you know, the good and the bad. Mm, I, I think that's a valid point. Really good. Um, I've spoken to other agents in various parts of the country where they employ this escalation clauses. You've probably uh-huh. heard of that, right? Uh-huh. Do you think that will happen here? No. Why? No. Um, um, I, 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 I think especially even the Hamptons, but the, the, the New York market, the Manhattan market and, and the Hamptons market, you, you know, the, the option of additional offers coming in, the sellers like that ability of, of, of another offer coming in to trump the one offer versus being stuck with the one offer and not being allowed a, you know, a true open market. So it, I, I think I don't see that coming here. Yeah, that's a good point. That's that's interesting because uh, I know I was speaking to an agent out west, and they um, said the same thing. They have the escalation clauses, but uh, they don't favor them. Well, we've also seen out here when sometimes it does go into multiple. You know, sometimes it's, I mean, sometimes it's multiple. considerably over yeah. what the asking price was. So, you know, I think I think sellers and their listing brokers sort of like the the free market approach to the way that. Uh, multiple offers are handled. Right, right, right. Okay, so we're going into the holidays uh, shortly, and it's a notorious time of year when things slow down, and then they start to pick up again with the new year. 
What are your thoughts on the sales market? Do you think it will slow down? Well, yeah, we just did a um, a review of, of of how many things go into contract every month at, at all the companies. You know, every you know the whole uh, uh, Hamptons market, and it was very interesting because uh, the figures we saw that October uh, was as high as April, and you know it had lessened off the in contact in contract numbers um, had gotten less and less. And then they bumped back up again in, in September and October. So, um, you know, that says we still have a very strong market. Yeah. Um, and, you know, obviously people are busy during the holidays. So it, 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 it lessens, um, you know, the activity. Um, but I think we're going to come out in January, you know, again, with, with a lot of buyers still looking, we still see a lot of showings if it's priced correctly. And that is the big if. That's the big know, if, right? Yeah, I mean, there's you know this aspirational pricing, just like in any market, doesn't do anyone any good, especially the seller. Um, you, you know, they they um, they end up selling it for less than had they correctly priced it at the beginning and and generated more of a buzz when it first came on the market. Well, that's when I think you know uh, the buyers know the value. I mean, yes. they, they've done yeah. enough research. Yes, and so the house becomes stale, you know, that's right. That's right. In the market. And that time is, you know, time is money, you know, it's, it's future money as compared to present money. You know? And what's the first question you usually hear? How long has it been on the market? That's one right. of the first questions they say, well, how long has it been on the market? And, and that immediately factors. And then you have the poor listing broker go, Oh, you know, about four months, but you know, we've, we've had some action, but you know, I think they're having to backpedal the four month or six month on the market. And, uh, so no, it's so important that you, you know, the trick is listening to your listing broker. You know, I, I find so many sellers, you know, they've sold one, two, three homes and suddenly they know value better than the <laughs> broker that, that is in this business seven days a week for 25 years, um, you know, working full time in this business. And, um, and, they, and they don't want to listen to, to right. the listing broker's suggestions. And, and, and I do see that they sell for less in the end than if they priced it correctly at the beginning. Right. They're, they're listening to their... Uh friend and yes my yes. friend said to me you know that that's you should, right uh, raise the price <laughs> that's right <laughs> that's right anyway, what kind of advice do you offer uh, first-time home buyers uh, coming out here oh definitely definitely uh work with a, an experienced broker um a local experienced broker somebody that 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 will guide you and be open to possible different areas unless you happen to have some friends or family in a very specific area you should be somewhat open um to to where you might end up and you'll know as time goes on and you do your research and look at homes where you gravitate to more and um but also you opened up your pool of potential listings so the more open you are to where you'll live um and then i say just just stick stick at it you know just keep keep looking at property, you know, um, and don't be too set in your ways. You know, I, I always had this funny thing where, you know, the, the, the buyers would get in my car and they'd have their notebook and, um, you know, they'd start to write down, you know, as you showed the first house, they would you know, write, write down, uh, you know, you know, whatever they'd write down their notes. Right. And, um, and, and, and I always would say to them, you know, you'll know in the end of this, you're just going to pick one because it, it, it called to you. It, it, right. it, you, you liked it. It wasn't the notes that you went home and reviewed at the end of the night that suddenly you made, you know, oh, I'm going to pick, you know, 
the one on Elm Street. You know, it it you picked Elm because Elm Street spoke to you. And um, well, if um, somebody they, wants to speak to you, Robert, uh, how can they get in touch with you? Oh, you can always email me, um, R Nelson N E L S O N at bhsusa.com. Fantastic. Robert Nelson, it's been such a pleasure having you on the program. This is John Christopher for Real Life, broadcasting here in the vibrant village of Southampton, New York, on the only NPR station on Long Island, WLIW 88.3 FM. Thank you so much for listening. And in the meantime, be sure to have an awesome journey. have been listening to Real Life, the program that talks about the people, the places, and the things that are the pulse and heartbeat of real estate in the Hamptons and beyond with host John Christopher, who also created the music for Real Life. WLIWFM's Delaney Hafner and Kyle Lynch provide production support. Thank you for joining us for Real Life right here on listener-supported 88.3 WLIWFM Long Island's only NPR station, which you can also find on your favorite streaming apps and at wliw.org radio.